When someone says they have a dream about you, it's one of those things, is it good or bad? <laughs> I'll take that as very good. So today I want, to, I want to step into John 9, which is the man who was born blind, getting sight, and then testifying to the Sanhedrin about Christ. But before we go there, I want to um, kind of bookend it with a couple of things. One is scriptural and, and kind of what's been going on here and the season we're specifically in. So we've been going through Isaiah 61. I want to talk a little bit about that. And just, I want us to kind of wear the perspective of Isaiah 61 as we dive into what Jesus is doing um, with the guy I call Clay in the midst of this story. And then the other thing is we're, we're two weeks from Easter. And, and we're in this place of anticipation, remembering what Jesus did, because when he rose on the third day again with the power of the resurrection, the power of the resurrection is what powers us. And if any of you have turned the news on lately, you might be hearing things that might lead you to conclude that we live in a fallen and broken world. <laughs> that might be, be there. And, and one of the things about being in a fallen, broken world is we have hurts. And often our hurts because people do things to it. And what to us, whether it's malicious or not, we are often a hurting people and hurting people hurt other people. And it creates division. It creates, it creates separation. And, and the biblical word for separation is sin. That when, that when I hurt my brother and, and he pulls back, there's sin between us. When I do something that hurts myself, I actually create sin against myself or I can be sinning against God. And it may not be that I'm setting out to be malicious, but in my hurt, I find my place where I have separated myself from God. And our God is a relational God who desires us to be in connection with him. And so that's why he came down. That's why, that's why Jesus came down, set aside all of his divine power, walking fully and completely as a man. And then as a man, he was baptized by John in the Jordan River, and the Spirit of God, or the Holy Spirit, fell upon him and filled him. He spent 30 days, excuse me, 40 days. I don't want to change scripture. That would be bad. <laughs> 40 days, 40 days I'm out being tempted, and then he was ministered to by angels. And he is the prototype for us, because everything that Jesus did, he did through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the same spirit that he gave us through his death and resurrection on the cross. And his first act, his very first act when he returned to start his ministry was to walk into his home synagogue, pick up Isaiah 61, and begin reading that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to, pre to preach good news to the poor to set the captives free, to care for the brokenhearted, to give sight to the blind, that he was reading from Scripture and he said, this word is fulfilled in your presence today. And they about stoned him because they're like, wait a minute, that's Jesus, Joseph's son. But the reason he started with that is it defined his whole ministry and Isaiah 61 defines the heart of God for the people of this planet and more importantly, for the people who are in his kingdom, for those who believe and recognize him as, him as Lord. And what's interesting is if you go back to Isaiah 61 and you start to read all of it, you get to Isaiah, 6, you get to Isaiah 61, 3 and 4, and instead of it being the sovereign Lord has empowered me to do this, he starts using they language. 
that, that they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, raise up former devastations, and repair the ruined cities of many generations. That Jesus goes from this I statement to this they statement, and the question is, how does that happen? And Jesus answered the question just before he ascended. And, and he did talk about the Great Commission. I'm not, I'm not moving past that for any other reason that I really want to talk about the Holy Spirit. And before he ascended, we find in Acts 1, which was also written by Luke, that, that, um, that, that while he was staying or eating with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with or in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That Pentecost was coming. And so now it comes full circle because now when we read Isaiah 61, we're not reading about what Christ was saying when he picked it up. We're reading about what Jesus does with us. So we all say together, the spirit on the so of the sovereign Lord is on us to preach the good news to the poor. It's on us and that's how the I becomes a we, because we as the, as the sons and daughters of the Lord, we will rebuild our cities. We will rebuild the broken places. Where there has been separation in relationships, they'll be reconciled through the Holy Spirit working through us. That's the gospel message, that hope that things that are broken will be fixed again. And instead of being a hurting people that hurt people, we are a healing people that restore relationship. I wish that it was an instant process, <laughs> but it's not. And that's why we have forgiveness. That's why we have the Holy Spirit to, get, to guide us. And that's why we need community to walk us through that process. So when we fall and we stumble, when we skin our knee relationally, someone picks us up and loves us and we restore relationship. So I want to have that that idea of Isaiah 61, that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do everything that Jesus did because God has a desire to re-knit community, to re-knit relationships, and most importantly, to reunite us with him, that there not be a separation between us and God. So as we come into John 9, I want to set a little bit of context which starts in John 8, which kind of makes sense because it precedes 9. And Jesus goes in the temple and he's preaching. And this is where they bring, the Pharisees bring up the, the woman who was caught in adultery. And they're saying, well, the law says we should stone her. What do you say? And, and Jesus bends down and says, he without, that he who is out, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And they walk away, and he talks about being the light of the world and all these things. And he finally, is at one point, he's talking about that he preceded Abraham. And, and some Jews get so upset, they're going to stone him. And, and Jesus simply hides and, and walks out of the temple. So he's got the powers that be, the Pharisees, pretty perturbed, if you will. And then he does something as he's walking out of the temple. He's left the temple now. He's walking from the temple. He's in Jerusalem, and his sight shifts, and it kind of turns, 
and he looks at the blind man over there that looks kind of like Joshua, but he can't see. And, and as I did that, all of you looked with me, right? Like, where is he looking at? And, and, and I'm sure that when Jesus did that, the disciples did the same thing, and they saw the blind man who's always sitting there and always begging. And, and a lot of people know he's been blind from birth. And so they raised this question that's, that's in the mind of the Pharisees, it's in the minds of the people, what sin caused the blindness in the blind man? Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They're looking for the cause of what's wrong. But we live in a broken and fallen world. That's really the answer to why what's wrong. And Jesus doesn't even answer that question. He doesn't go to the cause of the man being blind. He goes to the purpose of the man's blindness. And I'm not saying, I want to be really careful. Because what Jesus says next is about the purpose of the man's blindness. He is not saying God made him blind for that purpose. What he's saying is this blindness that occurred in a fallen world has a purpose that will give glory to God. It is not that this man has sinned. He may have sinned. Well, we know he sinned, right? But that's not why he's blind. Or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, in this setting, it's, it's during the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the festival of light. And they would actually, in the first day, they'd light up the temple so brightly that the light from the temple would shine across Jerusalem. In fact, so Jesus had been talking in the temple about he was the light. And he picks out the refrain again. He says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am the light of the world, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So they have this picture of the Feast of the Tabernacle and how how at night it's lit up and it's like daytime during the night. And Jesus is saying, I am like that light. What's interesting is when Jesus died, did that light go out? Well, I'd submit it did right when he died. <laughs> but he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected. And that resurrection power, he then promised that we would receive this Holy Spirit. And so there, now, now the divinity of Jesus isn't carried just by Jesus. It's carried by all of us who call upon him. So that light is far bigger and far broader than it ever was before. Now, in this moment, he goes, he spits on the ground, he makes mud, and he rubs it on the eye of the guy I'm calling clay. And he says, go wash in the pool of uh, Siloam, which actually means um, scent. Now, I want to switch perspectives here for a minute and we're going to be Clay. And Clay's probably a man in his 30s who was born blind. All of his life, people have been asking the question, why are you blind? Was it your sin or your parents' sin? There's debates about it. And it's clear there's sin in their family. So even his parents have to bear the shame of his blindness because they see a deformity or something wrong is being caused by sin in the family. So he doesn't go into temple. And his parents are on the outskirts. 
and he makes a living by calling out and asking for alms. And as he's sitting there, he hears a group of people approaching and, and then he, it goes kind of silent for a moment and he can feel, he can't see, but he, can, he still can know and feel and, and experience. He can feel all the attention going on him and he hears the old question about, about sin. He's like, oh, here it comes again. And then footsteps approach him and he hears the spitting sound. I'm sure he's been spat on. Probably worse things like that have happened to him, but it doesn't land on him. And he senses this presence like kneeling before him and all of a sudden this, this, this mud, this clay is rubbed on each eye. And this soft, tender voice says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And so he does that. Now, he's blind. He doesn't have a red cane with a ball attached to it. He doesn't have a seeing eye dog. It is the city he knows, but he has to make his way to this place. And the only thing he has to make him do it is the fact that for some reason, the man who told him to do it, there was a kindness or something that was different than he experienced, so he does it purely on faith. There's something else about this miracle that stands out from almost all the other ones recorded in the, in the gospel. He didn't ask to be healed. His friends did not bring him to be healed. Jesus didn't say, your faith has healed you. Yet he ends up going to the pool and he washes, he washes it clean and he can see. I am sure he's prayed many times before. Probably most of his prayers will be that the alms he receives will be enough to get him through the next day that he can eat enough. He probably at one point prayed that God would restore his sight, but I'm sure that's a buried, hidden prayer. And, and in the midst of his day, when he's just trying to exist, he all of a sudden has mud on his eyes and he finds himself stumbling to a pool, not completely understanding why, but thinking he probably should. Does any of that resonate with you right now? Are you in a place where where you'd like things to be clear and understood, but something's going on that is just simply beyond your understanding. And I want to pause and pray for people here for a minute. So if, if this is you, if you have something in your life you do not understand why it's happening right now, if you have something that, that you've asked God to move and what you're seeing in front of you doesn't make any sense, or if you have a a prayer that you've buried so deeply in your heart you're afraid to pray it anymore, I'd just like you to stand right now because we want to put hands on you and we want to pray for you. So if you're that person who has that, that unexplained instance, if you have that, that buried dream that you're afraid to pray, please stand right now. And if people would just, for the people who are standing, if you just gather around and lay hands on them because we don't do kingdom building alone, we do it as family. We do it in loving one another. We do it in caring for each other. So Lord, we, we, know, we know that your kingdom is beyond our understanding. We know that you do things beyond our understanding. But we also know that you hear our prayers, you know our hearts. And so Lord, for the, for the buried dreams, 
for the prayers that we've been afraid to pray, I ask you release those in the name of Jesus, that we put them in the altar, we want them to hear you, and we stand with each other that they might be heard. For those instances which are befuddling and, and un, not understandable, where we're questioning what's going on, Lord, I just ask that you help us set back into the embrace of our family and you shed new light. You show us what you're doing, Lord. That, that the things that seem to be of the enemy be revealed to be your hand actually bringing grace and bounty and abundance and love and things we didn't even expect to have that are beyond our understanding. We just lift our brothers and sisters, our aunts and uncles, those we love to you right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You can sit down now. Thank you. If you didn't stand up, that doesn't mean the prayer wasn't for you just as much. And if something comes up, one of the things I, I want to do with this message is kind of shift our perspective a little bit about how God works. And if something comes up for you that you realize, gosh, I remember back when I had this thing that was just totally beyond my understanding. And now I look back and go, that was totally God and God has brought me this huge blessing from it. If that has occurred in your life, remember that because we're going to be doing testimonies and that's what we are. We're a people of God's testimony. So Clay comes back and his neighbors are kind of confused because Normally when Clay left in the morning, he was stumbling and he was going, and here this guy comes walking up. It looks like Clay, but isn't Clay. So in, in, in John 9, 8, we find the neighbors basically saying, is that him? It looks like him, but is it really him? I'm not sure. Like, could it be him? And he's like, it is me, guys. No, is that really him? I, hey, it's, it's me. I am the man. I'm, I am Clay. I know about you. You're my neighbors. I know your secrets because you talk too loud. And oh, I can't see. I can still hear. <laughs> and the neighbors are like, oh, well, what happened? How can you see? And he says, well, this man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and receive my sights. Sights. Bad English. Sight. Then where is he? I don't know. When Clay left to go to the pool, Jesus wasn't with him anymore. He left blind. He returned seeing. He doesn't know where Jesus is. He just knows a guy named Jesus did it. There's something else that's going on here in the story, an underpinning that's really going to rile things up because Jesus was preaching in the temple on the Sabbath and when he left the temple and when he looked at clay and when he spit in the dirt and he made mud, he engaged in work. Because you make mud and you add straw and that's how you make bricks and making mud is work and we do not work on Sabbath because we got to give glory to God. So word gets back that Jesus worked on the Sabbath. So he must be a sinner. But this man was healed. That doesn't make sense. How can a sinner heal a man? You see the quandary the Pharisees are in now? Because they're upholding God's rules. This man just broke it, yet he just did something that seems to be of God, and we got to make sense of it. So they call Clay in. So in John 13, we pick up 
the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders that are trying to deal with this, this mud issue. And Clay testifies to what happened. He put mud on my eyes, I washed, I see. It's really straightforward and simple, guys. <laughs> it's not so simple for them. Because the Pharisees are divided about this making mud on Sabbath issue. They're so caught up in the rules and the legalism that they're missing the glory that God just did. And here, they turn to the man that used to be blind, they turn to Clay and say, well, what do you think? These are the leaders turning to the person who they asked to come and witness, witness to them and they're asking him to say, what are you doing? And he goes, he's a prophet. Because he's got to be thinking about it. It's not just a man named Jesus. He has to be at least a prophet. So G Jesus is already, what Jesus has done, the testimony for Clay is already shifting from Jesus being a man, just a man, that Jesus must be a prophet. Clay's trying to figure out who this man is. Now, the Pharisees have a problem. They can't make sense of this. And they just have this man's word that he was blind. And the real issue, another underlying issue, is that never in the Old Testament was a blind man ever healed. Not once. But there was a prophecy that the Messiah would come and the Messiah would bring sight to the blind and speech to the mute. And any man who could heal the blind was probably the Messiah, but how could this man be the Messiah and be breaking the Sabbath at the same time? That's what they're struggling with. That's why they're so worried, because it's their job to recognize the Messiah, but this doesn't sound like the Messiah they were expecting. It's not fitting into their, their plan and their form. So the easy out on this is, well, if we can debunk that he was blind, then this whole problem goes away. Then it couldn't have been the Messiah, and we don't have any division amongst our, our body of leaders. So in John, in, um, in John 8, 9, 18, the, the, the Pharisees bring in the parents, and they start questioning them. Now remember, these people have spent their whole lives with people asking the question, is it your son, sin that made your son blind? They're kind of on the fringes. They're not in the middle of society because they, their sin seems worse than everybody else's. That's why they have a blind son. Now, I want to be really careful. I am not saying that's truth. I'm saying that's how fallen, hurt, broken people treat other people, and it's not that way in the eyes of God. So, is Clay your son? Yes. Yes, Clay's our son. Was he born blind? Oh, yeah. Clay was born blind. We know that because you keep reminding us of that fact. <laughs> well, how can he see? It seems like such a simple question right now. But think about these parents. They know, because Clay told them this guy named Jesus probably did it, and they're thinking, well, if we say Jesus did it and he might be the Messiah, then they're going to cast us out. And, and our son can see now, so maybe we won't be on the fringes. We so desperately want to be in community. Fear is in their hearts at this moment, I believe. So they take the safest path they can find that honors their son and still protects them. And we don't know how, we don't know who, but he's a grown man, ask him. 
so they don't have another choice but to ask him. So the Sanhedrin brings clay in again. And in, in John 9, 24 through 34, clay is testifying to the Sanhedrin about the glory of God. Peter does this. Stephen does it and is stoned. Paul does it in all sorts of venues. But this is actually the first recorded interest, um, the first recorded instant in Scripture of Christ's divinity being testified before the Jewish leaders. I don't know if it happened before that, but this is the first instance of that. Now, the Pharisees' job is to know when the Messiah is coming. And remember, if we look back, when Jesus saw him, he said that, that it's not his sin or his parents, but that God might, the works of God might be displayed in clay, right? And here's how the Pharisees set up the questioning now with clay this time. Give glory to God, for we know Jesus is a sinner. Kind of putting clay in the corner, as it were. And then clay just responds simply, because he knows the truth of his testimony. He says, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know Though I was blind, now I see. Before I begged outside your temple because I couldn't see, and now I can look you in the eye and see you, and you can't deny that. Regardless of what you say about Jesus, you're looking me in the eye and you know I can see you. What? How? Look, I already told you. And you didn't believe me. Why do you want to hear it again? Wait, wait, wait. I got it. I got it. Do you guys want to become disciples too? <laughs> Jesus has gone from being more than a prophet in Clay's mind. He's now a disciple of Jesus. And his, his meeting with Jesus is simply two thumbs and mud on his eyes, but he knows what Jesus has done in his life. Now, the Pharisees aren't too pleased with this answer. Join you? No, we follow Moses. We're the guardians of the temple of the Ark of the Covenant and all sorts of other James Bondy, Indiana Jones kind of stuff. We know about Moses. We don't know about this imposter. Now the blind man speaks again. And Clay comes before me and says, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. Only one person could do that. The Messiah. And he's throwing it right back at him. You know scripture. You know that there's only one way this can happen. He's doing it gently, but he's speaking the truth. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is worshiping, a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. 
if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He recognizes that Jesus was sent by God. And that's the final straw for the Sanhedrin. They don't stone him, but they do cast him out. And you know that Jesus is someone they're really after now. And here enters a real sweet part of the story. In, in John 9, 35, it's just one sentence. Jesus heard that they cast him out and having found him, I just want to stop right there. Jesus heard they cast him out. Jesus went and found him. When we feel like an outcast, when we feel like the world is against us, Jesus comes and finds us. And he says to Clay, do you believe in the Son of Man? Clay, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? I'm sure Clay's got ponderings in his head, but he doesn't want to jump to a conclusion because he doesn't want to be wrong. And Jesus says, you have seen him. Now, work with me here. This is the first time that Clay has seen Jesus when Jesus came back and found him with his eyes, okay? But Jesus doesn't say you're looking at him. He says you have seen in the past, you already saw Jesus. That when, when, when Clay was a man who was blind, not knowing who was in front of him, he sensed the presence of God. He sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit. He encountered Jesus and recognized Jesus before he even got his sight back. And then he says, and it is he who is speaking to you right now. Clay didn't have eyes, but he had ears. I bet you he could tell people by the sound of their voice. He could probably tell whether you got new shoes this week because he recognized your cadence, but the leather sounded a little bit different on the ground. And so when Jesus says you're speaking to him, Clay heard Jesus' voice when he saw him without seeing him. And so now that he's hearing him speaking again, his ears, which are actually his primary sensory organ, know that it's the same voice and it's the same person. He didn't have to see him the first time to know that the man before him right now is the man who, would, who put the mud on his eyes and that that man is the Messiah. And Clay's response is, Lord, I believe, and he worships him. That Clay is now beyond thinking of him as a prophet, beyond thinking of him being just being sent by God, but recognizes that he is the son of God, that he is the anointed one, that he is the Messiah. And Jesus says, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Oh, Jesus and his paradoxes. Because Clay saw without seeing. And the Pharisees see, but they don't see. Because Jesus sees into our heart. So what I want to do, what I'd like you to take away with this, 
as the prayer team's coming forward, it is that, that because of Jesus' work on the cross, we have all received the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit with which Christ did every single miracle he did as he walked. And, and with that Spirit of God in us, we have power, we have authority. We also have his humble and gentle heart. We have compassion. We can come alongside one another. And as we are a healing people, there are moments where our sight is clear and we understand what God is doing. And there are moments where there is dirt in our eye and we don't have a clue. And I'd like to say we just graduate and it's over, over, but it's an over and over again. So whether you're in a moment of clarity or you're in a moment where you've got dirt in your eyes, Jesus is there for you. And Jesus is there for you in the people that are standing in front of you and the people that are seated next to you. That we don't do this journey alone. We encourage and walk alongside each other as family. That's the vision of Isaiah 61. And that was played out with clay before Christ even went to the cross. So if you've got prayers that you want, or even a word, please come up and get prayer today and continue to encourage one another as I close us in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for the power and might, for the gentleness and the humbleness of your heart, that you engage with us and that you have plans even beyond our understanding that are for our good. And we stand together as oaks of righteousness to rebuild this city in your name, to rebuild our families, to rebuild our community, to rebuild our marriages, to rebuild our relationships through the power of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen.